Welcome to Lead with Kindness, the podcast where we talk about how kindness is essential and also teachable and can be fostered and modeled, not just because it's the right thing to do and because it improves the health and well-being of people you work with, but also because it's better for business. I'm so pleased to have with me today Anne Blanchard, a powerhouse agent from CAA, and Rachel Caldwell, an actress and social justice warrior all the way from Vancouver today. Also, I want to acknowledge that this entire season has been recorded at the Ninth Planet Audio Studio in the offices of Mosaic Management. So a big thank you to my manager, Jordan Cerf, and our wonderful producer, Elizabeth Bequette, and our sound engineer, Kevin Liu. Also going to acknowledge that we are recording this on the traditional lands of the Chumash and Tongva peoples and pay my respects to those communities past and present. Thank you, Melinda. Oh, thank you. That was beautiful. Beautiful. Gosh, <laughs> thanks. Could the both of you tell me kind of what you've been up to recently, starting with, you know, your job title, Anne, and what is it that you do as my agent? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys are always wondering, what the heck do they do all day? I feel very fortunate to have been in this business for 30 plus years, maybe 32 years, 33 years. I'm not sure now. And to have a job that is continually evolving and frankly, for me, getting more exciting and allowing me to kind of pursue my curiosity, but also kind of deal with the, the very issues that you're talking about and lead with kindness. And in particular, for many of you out there, you're like, oh, there she is. She's talking about CAA. But I do work at CAA. I've been there 12 years. And I just said to Melinda, you know, it's an honor to be at a place where every single kitchen has a sign up. And this has been the case for 25 years. Take care of each other mm-hmm. and good things will happen. I love Thank that. Thank you. So beautifully said. Rachel, what have you been up to since I last saw you on the set of Nancy Drew? So I last saw you on the set of Nancy Drew, and then there was a brief strike. Mm-hmm. And so I took some nice time off with my family, which I was actually looking forward to doing a little bit. And then I recently shot an indie horror film in Toronto, cool. which wrapped about a week and a half ago, which is a really fun experience. And then I just finished recording a small voiceover gig for a forthcoming half-hour adult animation comedy, which I'm really excited about. So Cool. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. All right. Awesome. Well, I asked both of you here today because I know you're both passionate about social justice and have put that into action in the world. And one of the topics that I really wanted this podcast to cover was service Mm -hmm. and how transformational that is, not just within ourselves, but in the people that our lives touch and orbit around and the importance of that in a work community as well and kind of the opportunity to use our platforms to affect change in the world. Mm -hmm. So what are the causes that are your passions that you're like very motivated about and why and what are you doing with them currently? We'll start there. I am very passionate about mentorship and I feel very fortunate that I got a phone call in the midst of the pandemic when we were all working at home and, you know, working sort of crazily and trying to keep the pace up and dealing with world issues, that I got a call from management at CAA from, I think it was Joe Cohen and Sonia Rosenfeld. And they said, you know, we have a great idea for you. And I was like, oh, you do? And they said, you should get involved in the Elevate training program. And because what we need to do is get the trainees out of the mailroom and into a deeper understanding of what it is to be of service to clients and what it is to build a career as an agent that is truly responsible and transformational. And that's how we're going to have long-term, increased long-term success for our whole company. I have to admit that when I was asked to be on this podcast and when I knew the themes, I sort of thought, why me? I mean, what? 
am I a social justice warrior? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Am I seen that way? I didn't know that I was perceived that way even. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of discussing it with a girlfriend. While at the time, I was trying to decide how best to draft an email to the BC College of Psychologists Mm -hmm. about how to encourage their licensees to accept First Nations insurance, mental health insurance, which Uh 93% of them don't. Wow. And my friend said to me, Rachel, that's a form of activism. (laughs) And I went, oh, is it? Mm -hmm. So I tend to be someone who's a little bit uncomfortable sort of banging my drum and shouting on Instagram or posting. Mm -hmm. Um, I get a little shy and insecure posting about that kind of stuff, but I'm someone who in my personal life Mm -hmm. spends my free time doing those sorts of things. Right. So I think, especially I'm Canadian, I'm First Nations, I'm a registered member of the Crane River First Nation in Manitoba, Canada, Mm -hmm. and I'm Ojibwe. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to be a member of that community and not inherently care about those causes. Mm. You, there's so many statistics in Canada. I mean, we have a lower life expectancy than the general population. We have Mm. worse health outcomes. We suffer from higher levels of chronic illness. We have lower household incomes. 22% of our households experience food insecurity in Canada as compared to 7% of the general population. When you just go down the list, marker after marker, we are well below national average. Mm -hmm. And these aren't statistics that, while I know them as numbers, I have felt them as part Mm -hmm. of my life as I've grown up. Mm So it's almost tribal in a way because you can't be close. You can't look into the faces of your family members and see their struggle and know the things you've had to overcome to get to where you are in your career and not care Mm -hmm. about those causes and not care for your family, for your people, for the people you grew up with. I feel lucky every day that Mm -hmm. I'm on a set. Mm -hmm. I cannot believe my luck. Mm -hmm. I I truly sometimes feel like a slumdog millionaire. I'm like, and I'm not a millionaire, (laughs) I will say that, but... (laughs) I don't take for granted that there are so many other ways that this could have gone for me. Mm-hmm. And through some gift, <laughs> some act of God, I don't know, creator, I'm able to step on set and have this job mm-hmm. sometimes <laughs> and do what I love. And uh, I don't take it for granted. That is so inspiring. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. And that's a great example of how telling your story with vulnerability and authenticity and really letting people in on who you are Mm. is transformative. Mm. And I really think, and it has both a social justice purpose and from my perspective, it has also a very powerful business purpose. Because I really think we're past the point in the world, thank God, where people just want to, for instance, be represented by somebody who's a go-getter. Right. And they're all about business and they just want to sell, sell, sell and just mm-hmm. give me your script and I'll throw it out there. Right. So I think that's inauthentic. And I love the authenticity of your telling us a little bit more about where you're from because it is unique to you. And I would argue everyone's story is unique. And I think we can easily overlook certain groups or we can even overlook people who we're now spending too much time bashing, mm-hmm. whether it's like, you know, all the white guys or all the, Absolutely. you know, and, or mm-hmm. all the people with power. Mm-hmm. no. Every one of those people is somebody with a beating heart mm-hmm. who has overcome something difficult in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, there might be exceptions to that, but <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> but, but I loved your, that was fantastic. Thanks mm-hmm. for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and one of the reasons that I did invite you was the conversation we had when we were working on the episode where there was a, a very 
thematic element of indigenous hardship that had been in the past. And we wanted to know the right words to use in the monologue mm -hmm. that Bess in the courtroom is saying, this is what happened and this is the injustice. And it was so incredibly enlightening to talk to you and the folks who were playing your parents and also our consultant from Maine, mm -hmm. from the Passamaquoddy tribe, about how the language would really affect what the lens on the story was. And also even the details of like the painting that we did, the mural, he was pointing out inaccuracies, like there's a riverbank, but there's no place to put the canoes that are, in the, you know, right. like you need a beach for these kind of canoes. It was really specific. It was fantastic. But when we were talking about some of the atrocities that happened in Canada, the residential schools, you said that when you were speaking with your friends about getting organized, getting involved, you said that you needed some place to channel your outrage, mm -hmm. I think was the phrase you used. And that really impressed me. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Oh. Wow. It sort of became international news while we were filming Nancy Drew during that period that they sort of unearthed this ground-penetrating radar, which had identified at the Cam Kamloops Indian Residential School that there was, I think, 230-some-odd potential child graves. Mm -hmm. So it was a mass grave. Mm -hmm. And mm. at the time, it's interesting because I don't know... What was shocking for me, I wasn't shocked at the graves because I thought everybody knew. I was only shocked at the outrage of everyone else because the stories, I mean, even speaking to personal friends of mine in Vancouver who are members of nearby nations have said, the elders have said all along that the graves are over there. So none of this was sort of like secret information. We were just surprised that people were surprised. Mm. So it's... A hard thing to reconcile because, and I don't want to go on like a bash Canada, you know, no. spree, but Canada has this reputation of being so nice, mm -hmm. but there's a delineation between niceness and mm -hmm. kindness. Mm -hmm. yes. And I think our only surprise in the community was the surprise of others who had only been meeting the unkind face of Canada for the first time. Mm. Right. Because we had known it inherently sort of our whole lives. And how did you channel your outrage at that time? I think I connected a lot with other people in the community. And at the time, I actually mended my relationship with my grandmother, who actually passed away shortly thereafter. Wow. And sort of got a lot of information about her experience in residential school, residential day school that mm -hmm. she attended in Manitoba. And... There was a lot of fissure and fracture on that side of the family. And there was a lot of disconnect and a lot of people who didn't speak and a lot of hurt feelings, mm. as is common in our communities due mm. to the way that residential school broke families and impacted people. Mm. And I was able to reconnect and just really talk to her about her experience and be there for her as she was, I mean, grieving the news because it hit mm. everyone in the community like... Mm like a freight train. It was such a, you know, just an outpouring of grief. It was really a challenging time. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. But it's great that you were able to reconnect with your grandmother. I'm sure that mm -hmm. was very meaningful to her and to you. And I know you'll be able to pass that on to your family. And yeah, that sort of thing is so important. I think that there's a lot of hope in how you can respond to something awful and tragic and monumentally devastating but transform it, you know, at least in a forward pathway for yourself. Like, what yeah. am I going to do about that? Right. You know, 
instead of just feeling bad and that was awful and then try to forget about it or, or just acknowledge it was awful, but not change anything in your own life. Mm-hmm. I will say that after the Sandy Hook massacre, that was when I came up with my no guns on screen policy. I wasn't able to enact it until I was a showrunner myself. But at the time of the massacre in Sandy Hook, this was in the States where all these kids were murdered in the classroom by a person with an assault rifle. My kids were about that age. You know, they were like in first mm-hmm. and second grade. And I was unemployed at the time. So I had a lot of time to reflect. <laughs> and I really looked in the mirror and thought, what am I doing as a member of the entertainment community that's either helping or not helping this situation? And I realized that, you know, there's so much gun violence on screen. And that's a much larger conversation that is beyond the scope of this particular episode. But for myself, I chose not to have guns on Nancy Drew or Tom Swift. And I felt really good about that. And mm-hmm. everybody in the writer's room rose to the challenge of having mayhem and murders and all kinds of mysteries that <laughs> had nothing to do with bullets or weapons of that sort. And also, everybody in the crew responded so positively, like, thank God there are no guns on set. And when I talk to executives now at my new development overall, they're like, we love it that you don't want to do guns. It's incredibly useful as a winnowing for projects that come my way, everybody who works with me knows that, oh, well, if it's got guns in it, she's not going to do it, or she's going to try to change it into magic as a <laughs> metaphor for gang violence, you know, which I frequently do. And and I, I really like having the kind of clarity about myself to know what's important to me, but also I feel very privileged to be able to put that into the world on screen in my creativity and how I talk to other people about like, hey, if this was an important thing to me and I made a change in my professional life that is very impactful in lots of different ways – Maybe you could do that too, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of like a thought, a compass for yourself. I love that. Aww. I love knowing that. Aww. I didn't notice. I too. It's funny because working on Nancy Drew and reading the scripts, I didn't notice there wasn't gun violence. I didn't yeah. miss it is what right. I mean to say. Yeah. 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 We didn't even have props. Like they wore tasers in the final seasons and there were no posters. There was no set deck. No guns at all. Wow. Well, Melinda, you are kind of endlessly inspiring. And it, I felt that way <laughs> representing you for many years. But I still remember the moment we were sitting in Culver City having coffee you had had, I think, a pretty difficult work experience, which we've reflected <laughs> on many times since then. Yes, we have. But I felt your intense desire to do some service to yourself, because I really feel like service is multi-layered, and it starts with introspection and self-awareness and kindness to yourself, but also taking responsibility for your own actions. There's so much about self-service that is important here. Mm -hmm. And I saw you do that. I remember when you went into like, you know, you did, I don't know whether it was judo or taekwondo. Krav Maga. Krav Maga. (laughs) What is that? I don't know. Martial arts. And just generalizing every single martial arts. Canceled. One of the most (laughs) and things she's ever said is like, you know, you've come off of this toxic work situation and you need to take some martial arts classes because, honey, you have a lot of anger. (laughs) And I did. I, I was must so have, angry. I was must have helpful? been projecting, honey. No, 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 no. It was the best advice ever. I still go to him, my trainer, Shlomo. He's fantastic. I love but that. Look where it has led you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is that internal work yeah. that I think often leads us to have greater awareness of how are we mentoring, how are we showing up for others, how are we being in service. And then kind of something you've talked about a lot is then how does that show up in the community mm-hmm. for all of us? Right. Yeah. Such a good point. That's sort of the beauty of being an actor is that if you have a lot of pent-up anger, there's just a real outlet to take it out. I mean, right. it's almost welcomed. You know? It's like, also you, necessary in, in yeah, a way to, to access, create character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We really don't bottle. I don't know if you know many <laughs> actors, but uh, <laughs> yeah, at least a there's point. a space for us to get to go and put that pain and put that anger. You know, it's it, it really helps you do your job better. So I never thought of it that way. Yeah. I mean, you do channel. You do think about things that are 
and it, a lot of it is very personal, very private work that mm-hmm. no one would know that that's what you're accessing or that's what you're doing, but often it is. Mm. And every time I step on set or do a job, I mean, I'm hyper aware of the fact that by many metrics and studies, Native Americans specifically are still the most underrepresented di- like demographic on screen. Mm-hmm. Every time I step on set and do a job, I feel that it's my job for the community to go in, deliver, do a good job, show everyone that we are worth working with, that we are worth writing for, that we are worth casting, and bring opportunity back to the community. Mm-hmm. Like I have one mission every time I'm on set, and it's mm-hmm. that. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's not something I share or tell other people, but I feel the responsibility, and I feel – you don't want to feel like y- you are representing everyone, mm-hmm. but you can't help but feel when there's so few of you who get to do it that mm-hmm. – it's your responsibility to everyone else right. to make sure that you're leaving a good lasting impression. And that, because even look at Addie's character on Nancy yeah. Drew, mm-hmm. Addie's storyline got continued and then she got parents cast. Yeah. I mean, when I saw that in the <laughs> script, I was like, that's two more Native people who have jobs now. <laughs> yes. Totally. And the first time we showed them, they just kind of showed up and hugged awkwardly with Bess and it was very sweet. <laughs> yeah. And then we wrote the episode where we were like, well, I hope they can act. <laughs> yeah. They've got monologues now and they were great. You know, yeah. I mean, we knew they could act, but it was kind of like, we hope they can carry this very important, pivotal scene and yeah. voiceover of the big supernatural turn. It was crucial and they were terrific. Yeah. Off camera, their names were Patsy and Curtis. Mm-hmm. And when we wrapped, I think on their final day, Curtis said to me, right on, sis, like, you got mm-hmm. this job, you're doing it for all of us. And then oh. he left, you know, and I just oh, thought, man. you know... Aww. Yeah, they're, they're, it's just a reminder. It's always there. Mm-hmm. You can try to put it out of your head and try to, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I'm not sure if it's a cultural thing, if it is remnants of, you know, sort of tribalism, but there is a sense of sharing resources. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm inspired every time I spend time with Native people at mm-hmm. the generosity. I mean, you've never met more generous people in your life. Mm-hmm. And I've, you know, as an actress, spent my time having part-time jobs. I've worked in super luxury, like five-star hotels. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this summer recently, I helped my son who set up a coffee table at a powwow. He was yeah. helping my brother sell coffee at a powwow. And there was people who you could see had very little money to their name that would pay $20 for a coffee and tip my son the whole $20 because he's a kid selling coffee. And there was elders who came up and gave, reached into their pocket, one woman, and gave a bag full of change and said, please give a free coffee to anyone who can't afford it. It, I mean, and we started the day, me and my brother, with the agreement that, and this just goes to show, I mean, we said, anyone, it's just a rule. Anyone who can't afford a coffee is getting a free coffee and any elders and dancers are getting a free coffee. That's just Mm -hmm. the rule. So Mm -hmm. we told our son, you know, whatever, just... Right. Any any of those people. And a woman came up and did that. And we sort of tried to refuse her money because we went, no, no, we were doing it anyway. Right. <laughs> Just take your money back. And she wouldn't take it back. She insisted. Mm-hmm. And person after person did that. Wow. Yeah. They, you know, coffee's $2. People would give a $5 bill and tip the whole thing. Wow. People who clearly didn't, ha- you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I'm inspired every time I spend time with us. I'm glad ah. to be us. I feel right. lucky. I feel privileged to be a member of you know, such a generous and, yeah, it's just such a sense of community, I think, that doesn't get portrayed very often on on screen, maybe. Like, people, I tell people and they're surprised to hear that. Wow. That's so cool. I didn't know it specifically like that. That's awesome. Yeah. I also love that she said, no, I want to make my contribution. Because I think people want to show up and be heard. And it's easy 
for those of us in these kinds of jobs to be like, oh, well, let, let, let us help you. Right. And I think many times people want to powerfully help themselves as well as taking advantage of whatever resources can mm-hmm. be made available. But I, I, that power of the human spirit is so inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the desire to not be seen doing it, too. Like, none of these people yes. said, please give credit to me. I right. want to be the one to buy That's everyone right. coffee. Right. So, yeah, there's, every time I spend time with us, I notice there's sort of this innateness to the generosity. And there is a level of it that's cultural. It was revealing to me about mm. myself where I thought, that's why I don't like people to see me doing it. Because mm. there, it, there is a cultural aspect to it where it feels like acts of kindness are not as kind if you're doing them while other people are watching. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I get that. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I also love what you said, Anne, about kind of engaging people in their own, I don't know, transformation, really. Mm-hmm. Because I think that that's so much more powerful. And not to say that giving money is bad. Giving money is awesome. Yes. I fully support Yes, this. very important. <laughs> <laughs> but what would you say to a showrunner who's kind of like, well, I don't have time to have my people do a public service outing during the workday, certainly. We're very busy fixing TV. <laughs> like we're telling TV stories. We can't be bothered to go volunteer at a school or something. And I also say about like our first days in Nancy Drew and Tom Swift, we always had a public service group activity because that was how we bonded. And that's how we wanted Fantastic. Yeah, to become aware of our community, like our neighbors yeah. literally down the street. But what would you say to a showrunner who's like, I don't have time for that. That's not good for business. Well, I have a couple of thoughts because I've been involved in, and again, I feel lucky to be in an environment where, you know, there's, we have a foundation and we literally help our clients learn how to do social justice work and mm. follow the data and build up entire philanthropy, you know, wow. efforts. So it's a huge part of the initiative of the company. So for clients who can afford that, we literally are part of helping them build foundations and it's very exciting work. But on the more micro level, I've been involved in many, many service days, you know, and I've been done them through my church and I've done them through my work. And I noticed something that I'm going to, because I really spent a lot of time thinking about your question, which I know will make you happy, Melinda. <laughs> I was prepared. Thank you. <laughs> no, I love that about you. But one of the things I think is that if you just throw people into an act of service and you don't get them to engage personally to claim that service, mm-hmm. you're missing an opportunity. So in other words, I'll just sort of, my pitch would be to you, like I'm involved with, you know, my friend's place and Imagine LA, and then we've done the LA Food Bank and all these other places. Mm. But if you were to sit down in a group of six or seven people and get everyone to talk for just half an hour about how have you been personally impacted by homelessness? Mm. How, how do you, what are your feelings about that? What is that, what part of you feels both kind of moved and concerned and how has that impacted you? And how do you think that shows up for other people before you go to the LA Food Bank? Mm. I just think taking that time for personal connection right. in a world that frankly, where people are feeling more and more alienated and mm-hmm. more and more angry and more and more oppositional and we're seeing all of this online. I think getting underneath people where they live and how they're motivated mm-hmm. then puts you in an opportunity where you're like, oh, we're here for a deeper purpose. Mm-hmm. And as Bill Clinton always says, we all share, and I'm sure it came from Stephen Hawking or something, but we all share 99.9% of the same DNA. Wow. No matter how different we appear. I didn't know that. So that is scientifically true, apparently. Mm. Wow. I'm I'm sure someone will write in and (laughs) (laughs) I'll answer that letter. (laughs) Turns into a science podcast. (laughs) You'll answer that letter. But we have so much in common. Mm -hmm. So how do we make the, if you stop 
for three minutes, you can change the course of your own mindset. Mm-hmm. You can change the course of the action you're about to take. Mm-hmm. I was just speaking to one of my mentees about patience. Mm-hmm. And I said, maybe you should just start using the word patience more often, you know, as a way to kind of embed that in your mm-hmm. own thinking and in your own cellular connection to others, because that's something you're working on. It's something I'm working on all the time. Mm-hmm. So I really relate to that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I think taking that time before you mm-hmm. do one of those activities, right. it should never feel like, oh, yeah, I've got to do that before I got to get on the phone with Netflix right. at, at 12. <laughs> Which, you know, <laughs> right. that's the busy world we're all in because mm-hmm. I do think it's extremely valuable to do those kinds of activities mm-hmm. and you can help people make them land with more significance. Right. Mm-hmm. I love that idea because at a team building level, you're getting people to access their vulnerability, their common humanity, which can really only help whatever you're doing that's right. on the work front. I always try to bring it back to like, how is this good for you? cynical business person. <laughs> if yeah. your team trusts each other and they've got access to kind of like a shared perspective or a greater perspective on the work, they will do better for you. You will make more money. So there's that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, there's something beyond making more money that's mm-hmm. super important in the workplace now. And there also, is? In- Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, wait, what? <laughs> well, you're, you're going to find this interesting because you know, I'm thinking from the employee retention standpoint. Oh, right. Because yeah. yeah. guess what you don't want to do at an agency? You don't want to train great people and lose them to mm-hmm. somebody else. Mm-hmm. So it's that connectivity that oh, you're right. fostering. And because the younger generation, and I love this because you're a part of it, is very much thinking of like, okay, thank you. Pay me well. Mm-hmm. You know, have a great campus. Let's have a good place to work. But what are you doing for the world? Mm-hmm. So... I love the fact that, for instance, we had an incredible town hall the other day that my dear colleague, Joella Dornbaum, headed up with with CAA Amplify, which is Mm -hmm. really for diverse clients at CAA, but also diverse agents at CAA, and then it benefits all of us. But they had a whole discussion about something called Seeds of Peace, Mm -hmm. where it was both a Palestinian professor and an Israeli professor talking together about the ancient nature of this conflict Mm -hmm. and the times in which the... Arabs and Israelis have worked closely together, Mm -hmm. not just apart, Mm -hmm. and have been aligned because, of course, the conflict goes back for centuries and more in millennia. So anyway, interesting to kind of like figure out those moments when you can, how do we bring human connection around difficult issues? Mm -hmm. And then that leads to service of more significance in the world. I love that. I do love that. Seeds of Peace, you said? Seeds of Peace. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're, and it was a recorded conversation? It, it was a recorded conversation. Maybe I can access it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, <laughs> interested. <laughs> I'm interested. That's so awesome. We're going to have to wrap up really soon because you guys have been so perfect. But <laughs> it's flown by. Perfect. Totally. <laughs> absolutely gold star. Um, you know, anything else you want to add about like the transformative nature of service and mentorship and how you feel like that's been helpful for your career personally, not just for like a group you've been in? I feel like this conversation has come at the right time because it was thinking about mentorship mm-hmm. was something I had almost closed a door on. I just I went, know. that's not... That's not, I'm older than that now, uh-huh. and I don't need it now, and it's not. But I love knowing that there are women like you both in the world who are interested in mentorship because it's so important. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is such a ingredient in achieving some level of parity for marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. How do we get trained to have these jobs? Right. How do we reach, you know, representation not only on screen but behind the camera mm-hmm. as well in right. all departments. Right. How do we strive for that if we don't mentor people? Right. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's really true. Yeah. yeah. It kind of brings to mind the the thing that I advocate for often when people come to me and just like friends or colleagues or people who are just having an informational interview and they're very stressed out, you know, <laughs> they're kind of like, I don't have a job. I don't know where the next job right. is coming from. What can I do? What advice do you have? And one <laughs> of the things I always say to them is you should volunteer. You know, you should find something that you're passionate about that you feel connected to, whether it's like walking dogs or volunteering at the food bank or cleaning up a beach or whatever it is that speaks to your soul. Because they've done studies somewhere that the only thing that really raises your resting state of happiness actually is service to others yes. and service to things larger than yourself. So just on that level, it's hugely beneficial. But I find that it's a really good ingredient of internal calm when you're doing something for somebody else, for some larger purpose, because it puts your stuff in perspective. And I think that that is such a valuable element of leadership is to have your own nonsense in perspective. <laughs> totally agree. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it also puts it back on you to initiate. Mm-hmm. You know, as I also think you need, you have to have a relationship with a mentor where you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to get certain things out of this. Yeah. I'm not mm-hmm. going to get everything out of it. Does right. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's on me to initiate these relationships and to know that it's going to be an imperfect process. Mm -hmm. It was funny because I did hear on an earlier podcast something that I both appreciated because I really do believe that microaggressions can be lessened in the the workplace. Mm -hmm. But it also made me think to myself, huh, I like the idea of doing the inner work where 50% of those microaggressions I no longer notice because I'm taking responsibility for myself, Mm -hmm. and I'm not going around wondering who's going to offend me today. Right. Instead, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking in terms of who can I be of service Mm -hmm. along the way, knowing I'm going to get it wrong and they're going to get it wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So allowing for a little bit of imperfection in the process of improvement. Yeah. Yeah. And then another phrase that my um, workflow coach, Birgit, says is powerfully choose. You know, you can be in an imperfect situation and you can powerfully choose to stay or engage with it and just know that you're doing from a place of choice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that. being done to you. Yeah. Yeah. No. I think that's great. And keeping in mind, because I really see both sides of this, that when you're at the very beginning of your career, mm-hmm. it's much easier to feel powerless in a situation. Right. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's those mentors, it's sometimes those coaches. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, even in a, it's one of the reasons I think maybe sports is so such a mm-hmm. powerful tool for the people who end up in our training program. Right. That sense of always knowing you need a coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it's a parent, sometimes it's a sibling, but sometimes it's somebody else in a work situation who just wants to be generous. Mm-hmm. And I have definitely seen, and maybe it's because of all the pain in this tough world we live in, but I would say COVID forward, George Floyd forward, mm-hmm. I have seen a lot, just huge improvement in the degree of understanding awareness, desire to give back, desire to contribute, Mm. service that is very positive in our community. It's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect. I agree. (laughs) Because I'm walking around in my own totally imperfect state, (laughs) and I have a funny feeling other people are too. But I see improvement despite, you know, Mm -hmm. the crazy headlines that we all deal with every day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love knowing that. It's not perfect. It's imperfect. Yes, imperfectly perfect. Exactly. 
Oh, golly, I'm so glad that the both of you are here for the season finale. This was incredible. Can oh, we do this again pleasure. tomorrow? Yes, we actually could. I'm we here could do till Sunday. In the spring, there will be a second season, uh, you know, TBA, but it's yeah. going to be fun and it'll be slightly different from this. It'll be some version of either a case study where we put the stuff to work yeah. and or a different thing that we lead with. So yeah. thank you so much for joining us for this whole season of Lead with Kindness. Thank you, thank Rachel you. and Thank you, Melinda. Awesome. And I love meeting you, Rachel. I love meeting you, Anne. (laughs) Thank you, Melinda. Thanks. Bye. 